So good morning, everybody. Today is the 28th day of the Omer. Shavua Tov to those of you who are coming on. And um, today really is, for sure, God willing, our last class on Shemona Esrei. For those of you who have been following the class for the last 20 weeks, this is the 20th week of Shimon Esrei. Good morning, Penny. Hi. Um, and we're going to really end off today. I hope that this, this course has been meaningful and helped you with your davening and maybe have some more thoughts in your head while you're saying the brachas. I try to think of something that I know that I didn't know before when I'm saying some of the words as I go through the Shimona Esrei. So there's always so much more to say. And of course, there's certain parts of the Shimon Esther that we didn't go into depth in. We didn't do Birkas Kohanim. We didn't do the Kedusha part of Shimon Esther, but we're doing just really the main skeleton of the Shimon Esther, the main bones of it. And last week, we were talking about the bracha of Sim Shalom, the bracha that sort of ends the Shimona Esrei, where we basically give this beautiful bracha where we ask Hashem for peace, peace within ourselves, peace in our house. The word seems shalom, according to uh, Rabbi Meir Bernbaum's sitter, where he really spells out what each word means. He says, seems shalom means we're asking God for peace of mind, peace in our house, peace between the Jewish people, and peace in our country. And tova means to give every person what is good for them. Sim shalom tova. Uvracha. Racha always connotes prosperity and success. Chain, right? When we say that somebody has chain, what are we saying? That you should be well-loved, well-liked by other people. When a person has chain, it means that we should find favor in the eyes of other people. In all, in all the eyes of all who see us. The chesed, the word chesed here in this bracha means to give us things even if we're not deserving, right? Just out of your loving kindness, to your desire to give. Give it to us even when we don't deserve it. The rachamin, and have mercy on us. Don't punish us according to our wrongdoings, right? Overlook them and just deal with us with mercy. On those of us who are here praying together and all of your nation, Israel. Okay? We said, Since you are our Father, give us an abundance of goodness and success, all of us as if we are like one person, equally. And when we say, with the light of your face, what, what that connotes is that. It's a symbol of Hashem's great love. When a person turns their face to you, as opposed to turns away from you in terms of God, it's that he's completely um, overflowing with love towards us. It says, this is the same face that you showed us at Harsinai when you gave us the Torah. The light of your face. You gave us this present, not because we were deserving, but you did it in order to teach us how to live, and how to do kindness. You gave us, with the Torah, many opportunities to earn olam haba, to earn the world to come. Uvracha, and you give us abundance of goodness and success. Okay, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I want to just end by saying that this bracha at the end of Sim Shalom, the Malachim said this last bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem, Hamivarech et Amo Yisrael Bashalom. They said this bracha when the Bnei Yisrael, when the Jewish people were settled peacefully in Eretz Yisrael. Right after our, our whole ordeal in the desert, and then we finally go into Eretz Yisrael, we have to fight the nations that are in Eretz Yisrael. And when we're finally settled peacefully, the angels come along and they say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Hamivareches Amo Yisrael Bashalom. Blessed are you, Hashem, the source of all blessing, 
who gives an abundance of goodness and success to his nation, Israel with peace. Okay, so we've officially ended the Shemona Esrei here. But what happens is that we continue now with personal requests. And these personal requests are very, very important. The personal request that we're going to see in this bracha is actually a Gemara in brachas, Yud Zion. It's a compilation of many rabbis who composed this personal prayer. One of them of which was Elokai Netzur Lashoni, which is what we're going to go into now. But before we do that, I just want to point out to you, for those of you who have your sitter, that right after Sim Shalom, there is a place here, here where you can say the words, Now there's actually two places where you say this. Now many people say it here, but other people say it after Elokai Netzur. And there are different reasons for both, which I'm not gonna go into. But basically, that prayer spells the end officially of the Shemona Esri. So some say it's here after Sim Shalom. Others say it's not until after we give our personal requests, where you'll see Yehiyu Ratzon again at the end of Elokai Netzur. So that's where I say it, at the very end of Shemona Esri, after Elokai Netzur. But again, whatever your minhag or whatever you're doing, both are acceptable. Okay, so when we end Sim Shalom, as I was saying, this time for personal requests is a very important part of the Shemona Esrei. And it's interesting that um, this bracha that we're going to speak about that the rabbis gave us as a, as a way of spurring us on to personal requests at the end of the Shemona Esrei is all about the speaking of Lashon Hara, or helping us, asking Hashem to help us to watch our mouths, to be careful about what we say. Because here we are, we've been davening to Hashem, and of course we know that if a person's mouth, so to speak, is impure, is it's a mouth that speaks Lashon Hara, it's a mouth that says negative and nasty things about God's people, this is a mouth where you can daven all you want, but your prayers will not be received because there's nothing that Hashem hates more than Lashon Hara. And if you notice, we begin the Shemona Esrei with the words about our mouth. Hashem sfasai tiftach latecha, right? Hashem, open up my mouth so that my mouth will be able to declare your praises. And here we are taking leave, so to speak, of Hashem asking and begging him to help us again to watch our mouths. And when do we do this? We do this when we're basically going back into the world, right? To talk to Hashem, to be with Hashem, that's a lot easier in many ways, right? The Bein Adam Lemakom laws, for some, are much easier than the Bein Adam Lechavero. And then we have people who are the opposite, who are very good at the Bein Adam Lechavero laws, right? The ones between human beings, but they don't do so well on the Bein Adam Lemakom, right? They just ignore those, or they don't think those are as important. But here we are taking leave of Hashem, and we're saying, Hashem, we're going back into the world with people, with difficult people, with our own uh, lack of shalom within ourselves that will cause us to speak Lashon Hara, help us to watch ourselves. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Now, another thing that's interesting is uh, that really you could ask for personal requests all the way through Shemona Esrei. There's an idea that inside every single prayer, before you say the end of it, the Baruch Atah Hashem, right? The part that the, we say the Malachim said at the end of each prayer, you could actually dub in the same way in Rafua, we stop and we say the names of the people who are sick. There's an idea that in, let's say, Birka Sashanim, the Bracha for Prosperity, you could actually stop in the middle of it and in your own words, ask for your need for specific need for, you know, uh, the business deal that it should go through, something connected to that. And yet, the rabbis still say that more potent than any personal request that we say during Shimon, uh, 
sorry, are, 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 the, are the prayers that we say at the very end of Shimona Esrei. And even if we would pray all day outside of Shimona Esrei, like we would ask Hashem to get us a parking spot, or we would ask Hashem to, you know, make sure we get to this appointment on time, still even more uh, potent are the prayers that we say at the very end of Shimona Esrei in this time of personal request, because this is basically the end. And this is our last opportunity to have our prayers answered. So um, we pray at the end, even after we've said our main prayer, because the idea is this is the last moment where we might realize we didn't really internalize our prayer. We weren't really focused through the entire prayer. But here, if we say these words, and specifically the words, that little pasuk that either you say after seeing Shalom, or you say at the very end, it doesn't matter when, this is a place where you should say this with tremendous kavana, because it's kind of like it seals the deal. Even if you haven't, again, said your prayer with a lot of kavana, this, if you say it with feeling and concentration, there's an assurance, according to the Chazal, that your prayers will be answered for good, litova. And I mentioned that before, that caveat, that we ask Hashem, Hashem, you know, we want this, we want that, we really need this, but answer our prayers, litova. We don't always know what's good for us. We think we know what's good for us. And we're asking you for what we, what we normally would think is what's good. But, you know, don't give it to us if it's not. In other words, you're the only one who really knows what is Litova. And again, part of Bitachon is believing that whatever we have or whatever we don't have, right now at this moment, it's Litova. It doesn't mean it can't change. And it doesn't mean that it, it, and prayer very much is the idea that it can change according to how we change very often, right? We said earlier that one of the um, Hebrew words for prayer is lehit palel, that it's reflexive, that it's something we're doing to ourselves. So the idea is, is that if it's not the same person standing in front of God as that person from last week, because we've gone through some kind of self-examination, right? The heat paleo means to judge yourself. We've gone through some kind of self-introspection that's changed us. So it could be that just from that alone, God says, okay, now I can give you this. Now this is part of the parcel of your, this new person that's standing in front of me. Now it is Latova, because this is a person who, for whatever reason, We'll be able to receive it. We'll be able to handle it. You know, I'm going to give them a windfall of money. They've been asking to win the lottery. Uh, you know, two weeks ago, it would have ruined their lives. But now they've come to a place where I know they could handle this money. They're going to be able to give it to Tzedakah. They're going to understand that it's not really theirs. It's theirs on borrow. Whatever the scenario might be, but that's just an example of it. Okay, the Mishnah Burah says that this verse, again, which is what I'm talking about here, brings good fortune. It begins and ends with the letter Yud, if you look at it. Right? The Yud and Yihiyu and the last Yud in Goali. It actually has 10 words in it that all have Yuds, the letter Yud in it. And the Yud is one of the names of God. Right, we have two yuds together for one of God's name, but it says that these ten yuds allude to the ten spherot. So, of course, the spherot are very kabbalistic, but what it basically means are there different emanations of God that come into this world. There are ten spiritual emanations. It also has forty-two letters in it. This verse, and these allude to the forty-two-letter name of Hashem which actually we find in Birkas Kohanim, that we're not allowed to say that name, okay? But it's a 42-letter name of God. 
By the way, another name of God, which I didn't mention, is the name Shalom. So you're actually, I don't know where I learned this, but if somebody's name is Shalom, you can't say hello to them, for example, in a bathroom. Let's say you meet somebody coming out of a washroom, you're at the in the old city, and you know, your friend Shalom just came out and you're going into, you can't uh, say in the actual bathroom area, Shalom, Shalom, because you're basically saying God's name. So Shalom makes sense that it's one of God's names. Okay, let's look now a little more closely at the next, at that next um, personal prayer that we said the rabbis actually composed for us um, to say at the end of Shemona Esrei, which begins, Elokai Netzor L'Shoni Meira. Okay, and I just want to read it to you in English before we <clears throat> look at it. And again, I'm using Rabbi Birnbaum's uh, sitter where he really spells out what everything means. So, Elokai Netzor L'Shoni Meira. Hashem, right, who takes care of me, help me to guard my tongue from speaking badly about others. Okay, just uh, to review, what is Lashon Hara? What is the definition of Lashon Hara? So what many people forget or don't realize is that the definition of Lashon Hara is true derogatory information. I'm telling the truth. I'm telling you what everybody knows. I'm telling you about this person that is so clear, right? I'm not making it up. This is usser. We are not allowed to speak true derogatory information. Anything that puts the person in a negative light is considered usser. Okay, and we're going to talk more about it, okay? So help me to guard my tongue from speaking badly about others. Usafasai and my lips, right? We had that word at the beginning of the Shemona Esrei, Hashem Sfasai Tiftach. The word sfas means the banks of a river. Our lips are like the banks of a river and our speech is like a river that flows out of it. So we're saying, God, help me to protect myself, my lips, right? The, the rabbis teach us that the tongue needs two guards. It needs the teeth and the lips because it is so dangerous. It is such a lethal weapon that it needs more than just the teeth to guard it, but the lips also. Double guards. Usfasai midaber mirma. What is mirma? Keep me from speaking deceit or falsehood. Okay, so just quickly. Um, so there's two ways that we can be trapped by the Yetzirah. The first way is with Lashon Hara, that we're going to speak ra. me ra. Save me from speaking bad. But what is the definition of ra? We know something is clearly uh, evil to say, but we cannot overcome our desire to do it, right? We've just got to say it. We've just got to let everybody know the truth about this person. We've got to speak it. Now, the laws of Lashon Hara are very complicated. There are times when you are allowed to speak about somebody, but it's very rare. And it's very much, um, you have to really know your laws to know when and where. Generally, we err on the side of caution and don't say anything. That's much harder for us to do, right? Oh, but this isn't this this isn't lashon hara. This is the truth. I have to tell you, right? I'm not I'm not speaking lashon hara. I'm just telling you what's true. Now, as soon as you're saying that or somebody else's, that's a warning sign. Now, what is mirma deceit? So deceit is the yetsahara again, which tries to confuse us. And we rationalize that what we're actually saying is really good. Mirma means deceit. So we're deceiving ourselves, right? We said that the word to rationalize, if you look at that word, it means rational lies, okay? We've created rational lies, right? In our logical minds that seem to really make sense and buttress our defense. So we're asking Hashem to help us overcome both threats. Because lips that speak gossip and slander produce prayers that are an abomination. So again, the purer our speech is in our everyday, the more 
our prayers can reach up to the highest heavens, right? Seven heavens, seven spaces between the heavens. They have a long way to fly. The more readily they're received by Hashem, because if you've ever studied the book Tomer Devorah, which people study, um, it's about the 13 mitos of Hashem. It's unbelievable when you read that book, how much Hashem just does not want to hear negative about from you about any other Jew. That literally up there in the highest heaven, he's pushing it away. He's saying, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what your brother did. I don't want to know what your sister did. Don't tell me. I don't want it. I don't want it up here. And, you know, the incredible desire that Hashem has to see us in the good, even though we're all imperfect. This is one of the ways that we're supposed to emulate Hashem is to try to find the good, to see the good and recognize that we're all a mixture of both. And again, the more we look for the good in others, the more Hashem looks for the good in us. Okay, so, and the idea too is how dare we curry favor with God with the same lips that were instruments for evil. So again, we begin and end the Shemona Esri with the plea to use the divine gift of speech properly. And we're having, we have this prayer to ask Hashem for help. It's interesting. I just remember as a kid and, you know, I went to shul every Shabbos. It was like a, a law in our house that you had to be in shul. And probably till I was about 16 and very little of the service resonated with me. It was all, you know, thou art this and thou art that. And I don't know about your experience, but it wasn't particularly spiritually meaningful. My father was very, you know, I loved reading and my father was very well versed in Tanakh. And what he would do is give me stories to read. You know, he'd give me the story of Devorah HaNeviah or the story of Shlomo HaMelech dividing, saying he's going to divide the babies. Interesting story so that I would be interested or have something to do other than play with his telestrings and, you know, make braids out of them all or whatever. Um, but um, I remember that one of the things that caught my attention was the end of Shmona Esrei. I was so intrigued that at the end of this prayer that made absolutely no sense to me on any level, here was something that was so down to earth that was talking about speech and how you're not supposed to say this and you're supposed to not, you know, you're supposed to um, not get upset when people treat you badly, etc. And it's it was so down to earth and practical. I didn't know that Judaism had what to say about the down to earth and practical. So um, anyway, I just remember the prayer standing out for me. Okay, so we're talking more, a little bit more about Lashon Hara. So there's a medrash where Rabbi Shimon ben Gam Gamilis sends his servant to the marketplace. And he says, buy me some good food. And a servant comes back with a delicious piece of tongue. And then he says, he sends him out again. And he says, now I want you to buy me some bad food. And the servant comes back again with tongue. And the Medris is saying that the, what the rabbi says to his servant is that when the tongue speaks properly, there's nothing better. But when it does not, there is nothing worse. Okay. Now, we just had the Parsha, two Parshas. Hazriya um, Mitzorah two weeks ago, which are all about the law, all about what happened to somebody who spoke Lashon Hara back in the day. And the general idea was that he was sent out of the camp. And the idea was, is that if you're, through your speech, if you are separating people through your speech, if you are causing separation between one Jew and another, then you, your punishment, Mita Keneged Mita, is that you do not deserve to be with other people, you will now be separated from everybody else. Your speech causes separation, so you physically will be separated from everybody else. Now, it's really very scary when you think about it. Rabbi Sachs, in his uh, book on the Pumash, Covenant and Conversation, he talks a lot about the laws of speech and about speech in general, that that is what 
ennobles us, that Hashem created the world through speech, and just how Judaism is so unique in terms of its understanding of speech and the human being as a speaking spirit. But listen to this. The sages go to remarkable lengths to emphasize its seriousness. It is, they say, as bad as all three cardinal sins put together, right? The three sins that destroyed the first base of Mikdash, Avodah Zorah, Heliorias, and, um, and um, what's the word? Uh, murder. Okay, I can't remember. Uh, murder. Okay, so the three cardinal sins are idol worship, adultery, and killing another person. A Jew is supposed to give up their life in order not to do those three, right? Those are the three sins that you are supposed to give up your life for. If somebody tells you to worship a different God and it's in a public place where everybody will see you, you have to give up your life. If somebody tells you to kill that person or I'm going to kill you, you have to give up your life. If somebody tells you to have illicit relationships with somebody else, you have to give up your life, right? And yet, Lashon Hara is as bad as all three sins put together. I once heard Rabbi Akiva Tat speak in Israel before we left Israel when I was a young mother. I think he spoke either in my house or a friend's house, and he was at the beginning of his career, and I never forgot what he said. He said that the Lashon Hara that you speak actually creates the angel in heaven that will become your prosecuting angel. In other words, let's say you have a court case. Let's say we do say that when we get to the next world, we have a court case and we have a defense attorney and we have a prosecuting attorney, right? We have the prosecutor who's telling God all the things, all the reasons why we should not go the way we want to go. And the other one's explaining why we should spend a little more time in the other opposite direction, right? And that angel, Rabbi Atas explained, that prosecuting angel, the force of his argument, the power of his argument, you created it through the Lashon Hara that you speak in this world. You created that prosecuting attorney. It just, it just never left me because it's such a powerful thing when we talk about we create our olam haba right we're creating it at every moment so we create that prosecuting attorney and that's why lashon hara is worse than these three incredible sins that we're supposed to give up our life for so whoever speaks with an evil tongue they say it is as if he denied god they also say it is forbidden to dwell in the vicinity of any of those with an evil tongue and all the more to sit with them and listen to their words. Why are mere words treated with such seriousness in Judaism? So, of course, there's lots and lots to say about this. But he says language in Judaism is the basis of creation, revelation, and the moral life. It is the air we breathe as social beings. Therefore, in Mishlei, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. In Tehillim, it says, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. So we could go on and on about it. Um, I just want to tell you a little story I was talking to my kids about what I'm talking about today. So one, one of them, the, the two of them knew a story about two girls who were sitting on a bus Maybe this was in Yerushalayim or somewhere where people take buses. And they were talking about Shani loudly enough for a woman next to them to hear them. And they were talking Lashon Hara about Shani and all kinds of things about her that were not very favorable. Suddenly, this woman who was near them said, I just want you to know that my son is engaged to Shani. But now that I've heard everything you've said about her, I guess I'm going to call off the engagement. So you can imagine these girls were horrified. And, you know, they started to say, well, no, we didn't really mean that. And she's really a wonderful person. And it's just, you know, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, as the woman was getting off the bus, she turned to them and she said, it's okay. My son isn't really engaged to Shani, but I just wanted to make you realize that you never know who's listening 
and you should be very careful about what you say. Anyway, she was just giving them a lesson in um, the dangers of Lushan Hara, right? So another story that I like, I used to have this, well, I still have this book, it's called Yetala's Feathers, but it's based on a story uh, that the rabbis tell about a woman named Yetala. In this book, she's called Yetala Babylonsky, and she's the town gossip. She's the town woman who looks out her window all the time and sees what everybody's doing and loves to spread gossip from one person to the other. And of course, nobody likes her and she's more and more disdained by everybody because they're always worried, what's Yetala going to say about me? Anyway, at the end of the book, she travels to the rabbi and she explains to the rabbi, she doesn't know why, but you know, it seems that nobody uh, comes to visit her anymore. Nobody likes her anymore. So the rabbi strokes his beard and he's thinking about it. And of course, he knows her nature and he's, he's heard about her. So he says to her, Yetala, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go home and get me your plumpest feather pillow from your house. And before you come back, I want you to make a nice slit in it. And then I want you to bring it back to me. So the storybook has such beautiful pictures in it. It's very colorful. It's of this little shtetl. And she's bringing the feather pillow back to the rabbi she says why I don't understand rabbi why would you want me to do this to my 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 best pillow he says just do it anyway she's on her way back and there's a windstorm and of course while she's walking back the feathers start flying out of the pillow and they're landing everywhere on the rooftops and people's hair on the chickens you know all over the shtetl and the the beauty of the illustration is that the feathers actually look like tongues Right. And if you think about a feather, it's got that line going through the middle of it and the shape of it. Anyway, there's these feathers that look like tongues all over the place. And she brings the half filled pillow now to the rabbi and she says, here it is. But I, you know, while I was on my way here, so many of them escaped. And the rabbi says, well, you know what I want you to do now, Yedala? I want you to go back all through the town and I want you to put the feathers back into the pillow. So she's like, what are you, Rabbi, that's impossible. How can I do such a thing? He said, just go and try. Anyway, the, the end of the story obviously is, is that she says, well, I can't do that. It's too hard. So he explains to her, you know, that is the nature of Lashon Hara. That once something comes out of your mouth, once you've said the negative, you can never put it back. And you have no idea the damage that it's wreaked all over the havoc that it's reached. The, the rabbis teaches that the tongue is worse than the sword, right? Why is this? Because the sword kills only once and the sword can only kill somebody close to you. Whereas again, Lashanhara can kill over and over and over again. And of course it's reach goes beyond one's arm. It can go to the other ends of the earth. Okay, so I think we said enough about this topic now, even though we all need constant reminders and it's a very, very difficult thing to conquer. But um, if we think before we speak and, and even harder than speaking Lashon Hara is accepting what other people tell us. You know, we're not allowed to accept Lashon Hara. And once somebody tells us something about somebody else, it's very difficult to erase it. So it's incredible the uh, degree to which this is such an important uh, thing to work on, specifically if we want our prayers answered. And if we ask Hashem to help us, there's also a prayer. Uh, thank you to Sarah Brown for giving out the thank you prayers to everybody. It was so such a shkacha pratis because I just last minute grabbed that prayer. I thought, oh, this is relevant to the. And then Sarah was told by this uh, vendor in Florida to take home as many as she can to Toronto. And it's just was wonderful that everybody was able to get that. But we should also pick up another prayer that says that helps us to watch our mouth. I have a very short one. Um, that just reminds us to be careful with what we say and how we use our mouth throughout the day. We always need reminders. Okay, so the other part of this prayer, 
Help me so that my soul should be silent, that even in thought I should not get angry at those who curse me. And help me so that my soul should be like dust. In other words, it, I should be so humble before everyone and not mind insults. Okay, so in this week's Parsha, right, it was all about the main teaching that, you know, Hillel said, right, a convert came to him and said, teach me the whole Torah while I'm standing on one foot. And Hillel said to him, if you want to know the whole Torah, it's all encapsulated in this one verse that you should love your friend, right, the way you love yourself. And of course, the commentary on that that Hillel said is don't do to others what you would not like them to do to you. But together with this phrase, which Rabbi Akiva made famous, actually, are other laws in this week's Parsha that tell us that in order to be kadosh, in order to be holy, you can't take revenge against other people. You can't bear a grudge against others. And you're not allowed to hate somebody in your heart. So in the Hasidish or the Sephard version of this prayer, Elokai Netzur, if you're Sephard, they actually add into this prayer. Oh, I lost my place. Hold on. All about not getting on top of what we've just read here, that you should be like dust when somebody insults you. They also add in... Um, Hashem shalota alekinas adam alai. Don't let uh, me be jealous of other people, and don't let people be jealous of me. The shalot echos hayom, and don't and help me not to get angry today, and that I shouldn't make others angry, and help me that in my heart I should be humble and submissive. So this is something that's added on in the Sephardic version of the Siddur, or if you daven Nusach Sephard. So it goes together, right, with the idea that somebody who's insulted and doesn't answer back, it says the entire world, the sun rises because of such a person, that the entire world hangs, I can't remember the phrase, but is hanging and suspended and continues because of such a person who's insulted and doesn't answer back, okay? We have a famous story in the Gemara, which is a little bit hard for us to swallow, but it actually is a story that I bring down when we talk about self-esteem of this man who was in the hold of a ship traveling and he was very poor and bedraggled looking and he was sleeping in the hold of the ship and some haughty man comes by and not to be so graphic, but he literally alleviates himself on top of this man. And it goes on to say that this man, when he realizes what this person did to him, says that this was the happiest day of his life. Now, why would he say such a thing? Because he says that he was unmoved by the event. And he felt only pity for the lowliness of this man who did such a thing to him. In other words, his self-esteem was so intact that he did not, he wasn't moved by being insulted in such a degree, any more than he would be moved by somebody praising him to the heights. That he found this equilibrium, the sense of self-worth that was completely independent of people. And he knew that all these years of working on himself, that he'd reached this incredible madrega. And so this was the happiest day of his life. Now, there's even an idea that if you are insulted and you don't answer back, you can give other people a bracha at that moment. And that bracha that you give has tremendous power. There's all kinds of stories about this. So just two stories. Uh, that I asked my kids, you got any stories about this? So Rabbi Kanievsky, who's still alive today, somebody came to him and wanted a bracha. She was unable to have children. 
And he came and said, I, I want a bracha. She, she came and said, could you please give me a bracha? And he said, I can't give you a bracha. You need to find somebody who was insulted and didn't answer back. And then you, you have to get them to give you a bracha. And that's what you need to do. So she was at a wedding, some wedding where there was a lot of family dysfunction. And the mother herself was supposedly not invited to the wedding because of this incredible dysfunction in the family. She showed up anyway. She was thrown out of the wedding. And this woman who was at the wedding followed her out because she didn't make a fuss or whatever. She just accepted the situation. And she said, please bless me. And the woman blessed her. And within the year, she had a child. So that's one story. Another story, which is even closer to home, is my son said, my Hevrusa's son, uh, or my Hevrusa's Hevrusa's son, something like that, not too far. My Hevrusa's son, who was 12 years old at the time, really wanted to go to the Siyum Hashas, right? Which was that big celebration in New York, celebrating the uh, end of the Shas. And he put his, he put uh, a raffle, there was a raffle and the prize was that you could go to the Siyama Shas and he really, really wanted to win it. Anyway, it turned out that during the time that he, that just before the raffle was being drawn, he was at school and he was being made fun of or he was being bullied or something happened. His friends did something or said something. And he said to Hashem quietly, he said, I'm not gonna answer. I'm not gonna fight back. I'm just gonna be quiet. And Hashem, please, please, please let me win this raffle in the merit of my keeping quiet, not taking revenge, whatever, letting it go. And this young boy did this and he won the raffle. So that's the story that he tells, that he very consciously asked Hashem in the merit of keeping quiet. So we say the whole world continues only in the merit of people who behave as if they're dust, which is you've got pretty good company because what did Avram Avinu say about himself? Anochi afar ve'efer. I'm nothing but dust and ashes, right? I'm nothing but dust. And of course, all the great people in terms of humility, right? David Amelech said, Ani tola'at ish. I'm a worm and not a man, right? And Moshe and Aaron says, Ma'anachnu, what are we? So the idea of being humble, even at the same time that you recognize your godless, your greatness, is a very difficult thing to do. Because the truth is, is the natural way of a human being is the greater we are and the more, uh, the more endowed we are with intelligence, talents, and gifts, the more likely it is that we're going to be arrogant. Because we look around at us and we say, oh, you know, they're not as smart as me. They're not as talented as me. And in order to fight, and even a Talmud Chacham, right, the more a person learns in terms of Torah, unless they really work on themselves to be humble as they're growing in their Torah, the natural result will be, huh, look where I am and look where everybody else is, to look down at other people. And so Hashem is telling us here at the very end, the rabbis are telling us at the end, if you want your prayers to be answered, make yourself like dust. Don't get excited when other people say things or do things that are not true, but that are insulting, that make you want to respond, that make you want to react, right? Recognize that not responding is tremendous gavura. That is the definition of gavura. Holding your tongue, not tit for tat, right? working through the process of letting it go. Okay, that obviously is a huge work all in itself. Okay, let's continue and finish up this bracha because I don't want to come back next week. Okay. Torah again, we're coming up to Shavuos. It was given in the wilderness because the wilderness also represents humility. Nothing grows there. It's a place that's open. So we have to be humble like the wilderness. There's another idea that if you don't respond when you've been degraded, all you, you're able to retain all of your Torah knowledge. Okay, at this point, ladies, we, um, 
we say so 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 just just quickly right all of these we're saying to Hashem Okay, so it goes on, it says, open up my heart to your Torah and, and let my soul eagerly pursue your mitzvahs. And anybody who wants to harm me, anybody who thinks of harming me, whether in mundane matters or spiritual matters, right? Um, annul their plan, ruin their thought, even before they make their plans. And Hashem, why should you do this? Do this for the sake of your name, right? Protect us and keep us safe and raise the Jewish people high because your name is being desecrated among the Gentiles of the world when the Jewish people are being trampled on. When the Jewish people are not back in Yerushalayim with their temple, when the Jewish people remain in exile, when we're persecuted in any place in the world or taken, our freedom is taken away. This is a desecration of your name, Hashem. So do it for your name. Do it for the sake of your right hand. Your right hand, which is now in a way powerless to take us out of exile, right? Do it for the sake of your holiness so that everybody will know how great you are, how separate. The word kadosh always means separate, right? how separate you are from everything else in this world and take us out for the sake of your Torah so that we can study your Torah properly and completely and not have worries and material concerns that take us away from being able to reach our spiritual goals, okay? And then at the end of this whole prayer, right? This is where we say, uh, Now, in this place, right after the word va'aneni, this is the place where you can say a pasuk that is specifically about your Hebrew name. So I'll give you an example. My name is Devorah Esther. If you go to the back of the art scroll sitter, I mean, I have a little one here, but you'll find something that says verses for people's names. This is where you put it in in Shemona Esrei. It's brought down by the Kitzur Shla that it's a source of merit to recite a scriptural verse symbolizing uh, one's name before Yehiyu Leratzon at the end of Shemona Esrei. The verse should either contain the person's name or else begin and end with the first and last letters of the name. So if you look at it in the Siddur, you'll see it's just a list of letters like Aleph, 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 Hey, Aleph, Vav. So for example, if your name is Ayala, you'd look at the Pasuk that starts with an Aleph and ends with a Hey. So my name is Devorah Esther. So my classic starts with a Dalit and ends with a Hay. And then the middle name is an Aleph and ends with a Resh. So for example, my classic is De'aga, De'leid, Isha, Sichena, the Devar Tov, Yisamchena. And my Esther would be Elev Arecha, the Elev Asusim, V'anachnu Hashem Hashem Naskir. So it starts with an Aleph and ends with a Resh. Now, there's an idea that when you come to Shemayim, they don't call you by your name, they call you by your Pasuk. Okay? Because this Pasuk in some way, um, as much as your name is your essence, obviously, and your name was given to you through Ruach HaKodesh, there's also an idea that this Pasuk that you say at the end of the Shemona Esrei is another way that they're going to identify you, that it has something to do with who you are. So this is where we say this Pasuk of our name. You can find it again at the back of the art scroll sitter. It's interesting to see which one it is. It's kind of like finding your horoscope or whatever. Lahab um, deal. And, um, and then you are here supposed to just talk to God. Okay, again, just like in Shema Koleinu, before you take leave of your master, this is your last chance to really talk to him. And now we take our three steps back. Okay, so at the beginning of Shema Esri, we take three steps forward using our most predominant foot. If you're right-footed, you take three steps forward with your right, left, right together. Now as you're taking leave of Hashem, just like when we leave the Kotel, right? We often leave the Kotel. We don't turn around. A lot of people don't turn their backs to the Kotel. They leave facing. 
the same way we take leave of Hashem with our weaker foot, with our left foot, if you're right-footed, because it's like we don't want to leave you, Hashem. We like to stay in this place of meditation and peacefulness and calm forever. But we have to go back into that jungle out there, into that world that is a world of constant nisayono, constant challenges, constantly trying to get us to fall, trying to get us to slip, speak Lashon Hara, have negative relationships with other people. So we're taking our leave of you and we're bowing. As we step back, we're bowing like a supplicant, taking leave of the master. And there's two reasons for this. Number one, the place where I stood for prayer has now become holy. Wherever you stood for prayer, and there is an idea, by the way, that you should have a makom kavua. Wherever you pray, that's your makom kavua. That's your place. You should always try to dub it in the same place, right? That's why um, at Shul, men will sit in the same place, right? And thus you have these stories of people who come and visit a Shul and sit in the wrong place and get booted out of, the, out of that seat. And that's their welcome to the Shul. And they say, wow, what a bunch of creeps in this Shul. But people get very connected to the seat. Now, obviously, the proper thing to do would be to take another seat. If somebody, that just happened to me, actually, in Florida, I went to use the washroom. I came back. I had all my stuff there. I mean, my my hotel key and my sidurium, my homish and everything. And I literally came back to my seat two minutes later. And there was a, a woman and her daughter sitting in my seats. And they had no clue. They didn't even say, sorry, were you sitting here? Nothing. And even as I was gathering my hotel key and my, my sitter and my homish and moving myself, uh, they didn't say a word. Anyway, whatever, I was working on myself, the whole rest of the shul going like, you know, what a nerve. Like, I didn't even say, oh, sorry, were you sitting here? No, they weren't. But then afterwards, I heard the girl talking. and She was beautiful and she was probably 18, but there didn't seem to be something quite right with her. Like maybe she had Asperger's or something. Or, And I thought, ah, see? See, they just, they're clueless. Because, and she said something about this being her first time in shul, like ever or something. So I was like, thank God I didn't kick her out of my seat. You know, she was there with her bubby or whatever. Okay. Anyway, so you know those stories that, you know, if somebody is sitting in your seat, go to another seat. Okay. It's all right. Keep your mouth shut. You'll be able to bless everybody and your prayers will be answered. Okay. The second reason is that prayer is like sacrifice right? We compare prayer to bringing korbanos today. And it says that the Kohanim used to step across three rows of stones when they would leave the Mizbeach. So those three steps that we take back, we're likening ourselves to the Kohanim who walked across three stones when they left doing the korbanos. Okay, then we come to Oseh Shalom, Bimromav, Huya Oseh Shalom. For Ose Shalom, we bow to Hashem's right, which is our left, right? And this is symbolic of God's mercy. The angel Michael is on God's uh, left, sorry, God's right. He stands at the right of God's throne, Hashem's throne, and he symbolizes mercy. And then we bow to the other side, right? And that symbolizes justice, din, and that's the angel Gabriel, where the angel Gabriel sits. And then we bow in the middle to Hashem himself to acknowledge that he resolves all conflicts. Again, the idea of shalom, the idea of din v'chesed, which seem to be two conflicting forces but we understand Hashem Echad, meaning that Hashem is able to take Din and Chesed, right? Gevura and Chesed, and create Emet, create truth and beauty by balancing them and bringing them together in harmony. And so we bow into the middle to acknowledge that Hashem unifies all the forces in the universe. So the one who makes peace in heaven, he, may he make peace for those on earth 
who are naturally quarrelsome, the rabbi writes in brackets, um, on those of us who are praying here together on, on all of Israel, and you, the angels who escort me, agree to my prayer and say, Amen. Okay, and then we end with the very last Yehirat song. Yehirat song lofanecha Hashem elokeinu velokei avoseinu sheyibane beis hamikdash, right? We ask one more time before we leave, Hashem, please rebuild the Beit HaMikdash. So many of our prayers, right? Beginning with Shema Koleinu, Barei even. So many of our requests are all basically saying the same thing. Until we're able to return to Yerushalayim, until the temple's rebuilt, we will not be in a state where we can completely reach and actualize our potential personally and as a people. Until we've come back out of Galut, out of exile, we have no clue how much we're missing but we pray and daven for the day when we will be able to be again your people, that the whole world will acknowledge, that the whole world will understand, and we will understand and reflect back on history and recognize how Hashem's hand was in everything and how it all made sense, as painful and horrible as so many parts of our history have been and so inexplicable to the human mind. But somehow we will be able to say it was all worth it. Somehow. That's how incredibly magnificent this future that we're davening for throughout Shemona Esrei is going to be. And so here again, just as we're leaving, we're saying, Hashem, rebuild the temples that we can do the ultimate avoda quickly and in our lifetime and help us so that our toil in this world should be the toil of learning your Torah. And that there in the temple we'll be able to bring offerings, which is the ultimate service, with reverence. The same way they brought offerings and served in reverence in the earlier days of Moshe. And just like they did in the previous years of Shlomo HaMelech. And then it will be pleasing to the master of all, the offerings that will be brought in the temple, as the offerings were pleasing in the earlier days and as they were again in the previous years. And the earlier days, Kimei Olam Ukshanim Kadmoniot, referred to the days of Moshe, and even earlier to the days, uh, sorry, and after that to the days of Shlomo HaMelech, when we were able to bring Korbanos. And this final Yehi Ratzon, Rav Moshe Israel says, is the last plea that we ask Hashem to rebuild the temple. Because once the temple's rebuilt, it also tells us that we're not going to need set prayers anymore. We're not going to have the sitter. We're not going to need set prayers. There will be prayers that will accompany the korbanot that will replace the set prayers of the sitter. And the Vilna Gaon says on this, give us our share in Torah, because each one of us has a part of Torah that's uniquely ours. Right, The same way that we say every human being is a different letter of the alphabet, and that each person has their letter in the Torah, and without that letter, the Torah would be flawed, it would not be kosher, you would not be able to read from it if the letter is missing. So too, every single Jew has a portion that is specifically theirs, that we want Hashem to give us, right? We say, give us our portion in your Torah. And we have to understand that without the temple, our Torah study is compromised. Okay. Baruch Hashem. Thank you. We finished. We went through the entire Shimona Esther. Baruch Hashem. It was a great project. And God willing, our prayers should all be answered for good. And hopefully for all of us, we can have more kavana when we pray in shul or alone. Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class, 
or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DeborahVale at yahoo.ca. That's Deborah, D-E-V-O-R-A-H, Vale, V-A-L-E, at yahoo.ca. 